Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Let me first say happy Thanksgiving to everyone, uh, which means it is hopefully you will be listening to this on or about uh, Thursday, which is the day that Mary Langston's uh, podcast comes out. So thank you for that. Hope everybody has a great uh, beginning to their holiday season and uh, with their family and friends. And uh, then later on, when Thanksgiving ends at about uh, two o'clock, the Dallas game comes on. Now, that sounds like a good day. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Like Trey said, you're probably listening to this on Thanksgiving or the day after, and we're grateful you're listening. Now, Trey, are you cooking anything? Am I what? Are you going to cook anything for Thanksgiving? Am I, am I cooking anything? <laughs> uh, how long have you known me? A long time. Well, That's why I'm laughing, but I'm well, sorry. What do you call it when you... I mean, I guess I guess this is like cross-examination where you are you already know the answer to the question before you ask it. Or maybe that's, that's right. called a rhetorical question. Well, that could be true as well. No, I'm not cooking. I do clean the dishes afterwards, but that's more. That's a hard job. So I know people appreciate that. You know, I'd rather do that than sit in there and talk about politics, which is usually what happens once everybody, you know, finishes eating. They start talking about politics. And I think, Mm. you know, I'd rather go. I'd rather go wash the dishes. So that's what I do. I actually end up doing the same thing. It's not for politics. I just actually really like washing dishes. I'm very strange. So. But yeah, yeah I will yeah, be doing yes, the same you thing. Are. No, 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 we should just stop right there. No, that that is very strange. I I have an ulterior motive for washing dishes. You do it just cuz you're a good person. It never entered my mind to do it for that reason. I'm doing it to like <laughs> escape an inferno. I don't know about that, but I do know that this was a pretty good week for your teams, I hear. You know what, Mary Langston, it started off very very poorly. Uh, Baylor That's blew a, a lead against TCU. Um, you know, I won't go into a lot of commentary on it because, you know, I don't know any, I don't know as much about football as Dave Aranda, the coach, or mm. I, I just, so, you know, after that game, I told Terry, I said, you know what? I mean, things are never going to change. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write out my will. I've kind of lost the will to live. Uh, Baylor had this game won. And, mm. and they blew it away. And, you know, I thought she was going to say, well, no, no, don't do that. Uh, she didn't. She said, well, let me know if you need some help. Uh, it no. Had, it, no, she did. She said, let me know if you need some help. I, I know it's been a rough college football season for you and we'll miss you, but um, let me know how I can help. So no. then I'm in the kind of in the slew of despond until, you know, I mean, I watch a few games, but South Carolina comes on and, you know, we scored. And I told my wife, I said, well, you know what? We're not going to get shut out. I can tell you that we scored. And then It was the most amazing. I have never, I mean, you know, I love Shane Beamer. You know that. But I didn't think they were going to beat Tennessee like that. I I just didn't see it. Um, So shame on me for not not 
having the same amount of confidence that Shane and the others had. I mean, I love him. I would love him whether they got beat. I mean, they could have gotten beaten 63 to nothing. I still think he's the right person for the job, but I didn't see that coming. And then, you know, Dallas looked uh, amazing. And a little bit of that game I saw, because you may not know this, but I actually work on Sunday evenings. You know that? That's right. Usually you do know that because you're over here watching. Mm -hmm. And little known fact, not to dwell on sports too long, which I'm not sure you can, but for those who think maybe you can, the South Carolina women's basketball team went on the road and played at Stanford. Stanford's ranked mm. number two in the country, and they won. So it, it was about as good a sports weekend as you could have until the United States uh, got tied by Wales in the World Cup. Well, we're just going to embrace the good and keep going. It is Thanksgiving, so we will embrace the good. And then you get to watch football, would you say, at 2 o'clock? I know Thanksgiving ends at 2 o'clock, so oh. I, I've been very, very clear about that. Easter ends at 2 o'clock. Mother's Day ends at 2 o'clock because that's usually when my tea time is, but I'm not going to play right. golf on Thanksgiving. So it's just Thanksgiving ends at 2 o'clock, and then you got to get ready for the Cowboys game at 4.30. Well, I think you may have moved up the time. I thought it was 3, or I could be remembering it incorrectly. Uh, well, I hate to correct you in a public setting, but I, I think, <laughs> in fact, it is the four o'clock game, but I, I could be wrong about that. Okay. I got you. Well, we have more sports later for you, Trey. We have a okay, lot of great, great. questions today. Um, so I'll get started with those. We'll start with our question from Dan in Indiana. He writes, how did the mainstream media become so liberal and who keeps it that way? Uh, Dan, where to start? Uh, well, let's start with something positive. There are members of the media who take their job uh, very seriously. There are reporters who pride themselves on being fair and do not let their personal views get in the way of their work. Maybe not that many and definitely not enough, but there are some. So, you know, I mean, truth be told, I have run into fair reporters even at Politico. I am not um, on balance a big fan of Politico. But there are actually two reporters there right now, one of whom I've had on this podcast and on the TV show. And I think that she really does make an effort. Uh, I don't think she writes the story first and then goes looking for the quotes. I, I think she makes an effort. So even at the New York Times, to be honest with you, I, I have run into one and a half reporters at the New York Times that I, I, I thought this you know, young man at least – Early on, I thought he was open-minded to wherever the facts may take him. But on balance, the media is both biased uh, towards the left and, in my judgment, also unfair in how it covers many things. Uh, there's been polling for years now on how members of the media vote, and it's overwhelmingly Democrat. So are liberal people drawn towards writing and reporting? I don't know. Is that the way to effectuate change without actually having to be elected or appointed. I don't know. I do think I understand human nature and there's a desire to be relevant and actually chronicling what other people's do other people do requires humility, which is not something that there's a large supply of. So between writing about important things or even unimportant things and inserting your and inserting yourself into it, many opt to assert. And part of it's commercial the New York Times and Washington Post are liberal papers. I mean, they. I hope that doesn't surprise them. I, ho I hope that's not like a revelation to them. They're liberal. Their readers are liberal. 
for the most part, I mean, I I read the New York Times from time to time. I'm not liberal, but on balance, the readers they covet are liberal. So they made a business decision that they're going to cater to that audience. And there are examples on the right also. So give people what they want to hear or read rather than what they ought to hear or read. And then there are the lazy reporters who like the byline. They like their name being beneath the story, but they don't want to do the work. So they rely heavily on sources and sources expect something in return. You know, in the courtroom, we had we we had to incent people to cooperate. I mean, you either have to reduce the charges or you have to agree to a sentence. I mean, you have to do something to get people to cooperate. I mean, that's just that's just human nature. The difference is the jury got to know all about that. The witness had to testify. All the things promised or given came to light. And that's not true in the media. Their sources, no matter how self-serving, are protected and they're not cross-examined. So it's up to the reporter to say, well, hang on a second. You've hated that person that you just gave me a quote on for about 20 years. There's none of that. I mean, they'll tell you there is, but we just have to trust them on it. It's like a pinky promise. We have to trust them that they're doing what they should be doing. So is the media liberal? Of course. Why? I don't fully know. It's multifactorial. What I do know is the game just doesn't last very long if the referee is biased. I mean, people just stop wanting to play. So once fairness leaves your culture, you're doomed. And the media is currently right now perceived by many, many, many Americans as not being fair. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that question. And thank you, Dan, for the question as well. Our next question is from Tony in our state, South Carolina. He writes, on this week's Sunday Night in America, you mentioned that there was not a consensus on the definition of conservatism. How do you define conservatism? Did I really say that? I guess you did. Oh, I wasn't watching that closely. <laughs> you did. I was, I mean, the, the, the game wasn't over until like about 720. Well, <laughs> if I said that, Tony, from the great state of South Carolina, I believe you. If you say that, uh, what is conservatism? To me, it's a limited federal government, which excels at its core functions and inspires public confidence in the process. That There it is in one sentence. So another way to look at it is what is the responsibility of government? What is the responsibility of the community, the family, the individual? If it's a government function, so if we've ruled out it's the responsibility of the community and we've ruled out it's the responsibility of your family and we've ruled out that it's your responsibility and we've agreed it's a government function, should it be federal, state, or local? And among those things that we all agree are definitely governmental in nature, do they excel? Does the government excel in the way they discharge their responsibilities or their functions? Do they inspire confidence in you with their competence? So, I mean, it's, it's a one-sentence definition. It's a limited federal government which excels at its core functions and inspires your trust and confidence in the process. That, to me, is conservatism. Uh, you didn't ask about populism. Populism is pretty easy. Just go find out what people believe, hire a pollster, find out what people believe, and repeat it back to them. It, it does not take a lot of ingenuity to be able to do that. To, to do that. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that. And thank you, Tony, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest 
Home Services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Our next question is from John in Nebraska. He writes, how and who picks committee assignments in Congress and why is it not automatically based on length of service? Does leadership ability or likability matter? That's a really good question. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a steering committee made up of members, members of the um, of Congress, and those those members are elected by their peers. I'm not talking about elected to Congress. They're elected to be on the steering committee. Um, we have regional delegates. I think South Carolina at one point was in with Georgia, and then you know Tommy Graves may have done it for us, and then we got moved to another region, which included North Carolina. I think Patrick McHenry was our Rep, they both did a great job. I mean, I never wanted anything, but I, I think they both did a great job. So some of the people on the steering committee are elected by their peers based on region. Some are there by virtue of their leadership position, like the speaker, the majority leader, the minority leader. So this steering committee, um, let's just say there are, what, 24 people on the steering committee. That's probably close to being right. Oh, 24 members of the Republican conference or the Democrat conference are on the steering committee, and they populate the committees. They pick the chairperson, um, and you have to try. You, you have to audition. You have to try out. You have to appear in front of the steering committee and kind of lay out what your plan is, what's your legislative plan, what's your oversight plan. How do you, you know, plan to populate your subcommittees that are on your committee? I mean, I didn't have to do it for the select committee because Boehner just kind of reached out and picked you for that. I did have to do that for the oversight committee. You go in front of the steering committee. You also meet with them individually and they, they quiz you. I mean, what's your, what's your plan? What's your agenda? What do you plan on doing? So, and then the steering committee, once they pick the chairpersons, then they have to populate the committees and they, they use different factors, I mean, experience, acumen, interest, talent. Those are the kind of the characteristics you would all kind of expect. And then there are other factors, and I don't mean to be cynical about it, but this is just the way it works. You ask how it works. This is how it works. Mm -hmm. Geography. You're not going to put a bunch of people from the same state on a really highly coveted committee, unless maybe it's a state like Texas, if you're a Republican or California, if you're a Democrat, where you just have tons and tons and tons of members. I think in in the Senate, it's rare to find members from the same state. Um, they're in the same political party on the same committee. So geography matters. 
It matters what kind of district you're in. If you're in a 50-50 district where you got to fight and scrap and claw every two years to get reelected, you are not going to want to be on the Judiciary Committee because there are a lot of high-profile fights and hot-button issues, and you don't need to go looking for fights if you're in a 50-50 district because every fight you engage in is going to make half your district really, really, really unhappy with you. So if you're a doctor, energy and commerce or veterans affairs, you know, might make sense. If you have a background in intelligence or warfare, then armed services or intel. And then there are the committees which are more in the news. And if a member, you know, quite frankly, covets fame, and and that would be a couple of them, um, they may ask for that. Uh, The Oversight and Government Reform Committee, when I first got there, was not highly coveted at all. At all. I mean, you didn't have to fight with anybody to get on the oversight committee. I wanted to be on it because it was an investigative committee. And uh, the chairman at the time uh, went and approached me because, you know, of a background in investigations, asked me if I'd be interested in it. The one I asked for was judiciary, which makes sense. But now people really, really, really want the oversight committee because, um, they don't have tremendous legislative jurisdiction. They have some, but not tremendous, but it's 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 where the television cameras often are. So the steering committee populates the committees. They pick the chairperson. The chairperson then, with the help of the leader of the party, picks the subcommittee chairs. You know, for the little brief half minute that I was on uh, the oversight committee, if memory serves me correctly, Jimmy Jordan, Jimmy. I would have definitely asked Jimmy to be a subcommittee chair. He may have been a subcommittee chair on judiciary, and they didn't like you to be like multiple subcommittee chair, but Ron DeSantis was certainly a subcommittee chair. Um, He did a really good job. He, it was something in his, in his background and he had the interest. Seniority matters once you get on the committee, it matters, but there are other factors um, that matter more. They don't always pick the most senior person who's, you know, quote, next in line. And you also ask specifically about likability. Uh, it always matters. It, it is better to be a good person with a bad idea than a bad person with a good idea. That That is politics in a nutshell. It is better to be a good person with a bad idea than a bad person with a good idea. And when I say better, your colleagues are more likely to go along with a bad idea if they really, really, really like you. I mean, hopefully they want, but I'm being a little bit hyperbolic. But if you're not likable, and there are plenty of people in Congress right now that may be on television a lot, but their their peers cannot stand them. And they can't the reason they can't stand them has nothing to do with conservatism. I mean, you stop and think the two guys I think, I think that had the most conservative rating in the House when I was there were John Lee Ratcliffe from Texas, whom I talk to all the time. I did then and I do now. He was one of my favorite people in the world. And Kenny Buck from Colorado, whom I still talk to, got a text from him a couple of days ago. Those were the two, you know, according to the outside groups, two most conservative members. And they were um, they were beloved. So it's people don't dislike you based on how you vote. They don't dislike you based on your conservatism or your moderateness or your progressiveness. We like and dislike our colleagues the same way everybody listening likes and dislikes their colleagues. If it's a terrible person in a business setting, 
then they're going to be a terrible person in Congress. And there weren't that many, quite frankly, but the ones that were bad uh, were like legendarily bad. So that's how committees are populated. It's a steering committee. Lots of factors go into it. Um, interest, acumen, seniority is not the um, is not the most important thing, but it does matter. And likability always matters. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, John, for your question. Our last one is from Kevin in Washington State. And he writes, I look forward to your next podcast with a Dallas blowout this Sunday. You will certainly be in good humor. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. It wasn't really well, a question, but it is a statement. Isn't that sad that people know you so well that they know your happiness rises and falls with how 51 people that you don't know <laughs> play a game? Isn't well, I'm sad? sure you're not alone in that, though. I'm sure there's a lot of people that, you know, spend a lot of time watching and keeping up with it and their emotions do rise and fall with it. So you're not alone in it, I'm sure. Well, Kevin, if I had known that you were going to ask this question, I would not have taken 45 minutes and kind of run through my <laughs> weekend of all the highs and lows. So I don't want to do that again, other than to say, you know, I had to turn the Dallas game off uh, to get mm. ready to work, believe it or not. But I have a friend um, who is as rabid about the Cowboys as I am by the name of Tim Scott. Mm. And he texts me because he knows when I he knows when I have to turn my phone off and go you know, go sit in the chair, but he lets me know. And even, I think he texted me when they were up 20 to three. And I was still quite frankly, as nervous as Lindsey Graham in like a spelling bee or a math test. Mm -hmm. I was so nervous because I knew we would blow it, that we would find a way to blow that lead. But, um, we did not. When I got off air, I looked again and saw that my daughter was really, really mad because they had taken the Dallas game off air, which could only mean that it was a blowout. Mm -hmm. So her anger actually let me know that it was going to be a happy night, which is sort of weird. But her mm -hmm. anger made me happy because I knew that Dallas had won. So, yep, I enjoyed it until, you know, about nine o'clock Sunday night when I looked at the schedule and saw that we had the Giants on Thursday and. Now I got something else to worry about. But thank you, Kevin. I try to keep it a secret that I like Dallas. Um, so I'm I'm glad that you kind of read between the lines and and figured that out. Yeah, I liked that one as well. Well, thank every thank you everyone for sending us your questions and thank you, Trey, for answering them. Well, thank you, Mary Langston, for being the gatekeeper and keep them coming. Um, we got lots of fascinating things getting ready to happen. I mean, people touched upon the population of committees. Mm. The house is kind of unusual and that every two years is a whole new kettle of fish, new rules, new leaders. And so that's what they're going through right now. And hopefully people will have questions about the speaker of the house role, how that's picked, you know, why you have to go on the floor for that. And, you know, the Senate's either going to be 5149 or 5050. So it won't be a leadership change, but it's, it's all very, very, very fascinating. And then of course we got, you know, people are already announcing for 2024. So if people like mm -hmm. politics, it's an interesting time. But I know you don't. I know you like washing dishes after Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I hope you have a fantastic time washing people's dishes while they're sitting in there talking about stuff. Or watching football. Well, I'll be washing dishes until uh, my <laughs> mom comes in there and 
says in front of my three sisters, isn't he so wonderful to wash all the dishes? Really, I just do it to get on my sister's nerves because <laughs> at some point she's going to walk walk in and say, isn't that so sweet that your brother would wash everyone's dishes? And that just ruins their Thanksgiving. So once that <laughs> happens, I'll head on back home and start getting ready for some football. That sounds like a good Thanksgiving. Well, I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving and is happy and healthy. I do too. And we will see you, uh, God willing, the first week in December. You take care of yourself, Mary Langston. See y'all. You too, Trey. Thank you so much. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.